Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 440. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Our partnership with Florist Review is such a valuable one, providing a forum for beautiful and inspiring editorial content in the Slow Flowers Journal section, month after month. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 440. Our first sponsor thank you goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. On Vancouver Island, along the western edge of Canada, gardener, designer, writer, and teacher, Kristen Geel grows flowers and shares her designs through Cultivated by Kristen, a creative studio launched in 2015. Kristen's eclectic background includes pursuits that are equal parts physical and intellectual. She apprenticed on a Martha's Vineyard herb farm, interned at the Royal Botanic Gardens Kew, and homesteaded on a remote island in British Columbia. Academic studies in ethnobotany, environmental science, and a creative writing MFA led to editorships, university-level teaching, and a regular gardening column for local newspapers. Today, Kristen's artistic focus centers around her urban flower farm and design studio in USDA Zone 8, the tiny hub of a multifaceted floral enterprise. A few years ago, I interviewed Kristen for an August 2018 Florist Review profile, which we titled Creative Fulfillment, Growing a Floral-Centric Life on Your Own Terms. I loved that chance to speak with Kristen about her art, her writing, floristry, and teaching. And I'll share a PDF of that article for you to download and read in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Many of you already are following at Cultivated by Kristen on Instagram, where she posts luscious seasonal arrangements that originate in her Vancouver Island garden, located just 10 minutes from downtown Victoria, the provincial capital. There, Kristen maintains six 32-foot-long beds, where she rotates flowers using West Coast-style succession planting. As well, there are perennial borders, a wild meadow in the front, which means pretty much all of the grass is gone, she says. Meals and workshops take place beneath a 32-foot-long arbor, and there is a very useful greenhouse as well. It leads to a wild style, but I'm truly trying to maximize production on a small piece of land, Kristen told me. 
Teaching writing coincides with Kristen's writing of essays and garden columns. Growing Unique and Uncommon Flowers supports floral design and the photography of those arrangements. And naturally, teaching floral workshops brings it all together for this gifted creative. And it only makes sense that all of these passions found their way into a book called Cultivated, The Elements of Floral Style, to be published this spring by Princeton Architectural Press. Cultivated elevates floral design to fine art in this richly informative work on the principles of floral style. Kristen emboldens designers, gardeners, and floral entrepreneurs to think differently and deeply about their work with flowers as she draws upon the fine arts and historical sources, whether exploring Baroque music, the paintings of the Impressionists, or the work of floral innovators like Gertrude Jekyll and Constance Spry. I know you will love this conversation, and you'll want to check out the photos that Kristen shared with me for our episode 440, the show notes, which you can see at deborahprinzing.com. So let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to introduce Kristen Giel. She is a member of Slow Flowers. She's uh, an artist, a floral designer, and the author of a new book, Cultivated, which is out this spring, and it's also the name of your studio. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Deborah. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad this worked out, and as I told you before we started recording, I've spent the morning several hours just devouring your beautiful new book. And uh, so we'll be talking about that and showing, sharing some photos with people who can um, see this in the show notes at deborahprinzing.com. But um, we've, we've kind of met virtually a couple years ago when um, you joined Slow Flowers and I was so intrigued. First of all, your business logo is beautiful and I was so interested in poking around your website. But since then, a lot has changed in, in, in your business. But give us a snapshot right now of what is your business? What is Cultivated? Where are you located? And, and what are all the facets that you're, you're involved in with flowers in your life? Well, I'm based in Victoria, British Columbia, in a zone similar to yours. Mm-hmm. And I grow uh, on about one-third of an acre. So a high, I have a high-intensity um, urban cut flower garden. Right, yeah. And it has evolved over the years. Initially, I was a garden garden columnist here locally and um, went off to a floret workshop and became obsessed with <laughs> shifting from salad production to floral production and then came bouquets, then came working with some florists, um, initially supplying them with product and then not really liking what they were doing with the product. So <laughs> I began to do it myself and then I started photographing the um, arrangements and um, took some more workshops myself. And really, over the last two years, things have just fully ramped up with the production of the book and the focus on the book. Now, I should say, when I began flower farming, I was teaching in the creative writing department at the university here. So I'd spent eight years and have a master's degree in writing and spent eight years teaching writing. So not only was I familiar with um, a workshop style of teaching, but also um, had quite a bit of journalist experience under my belt at that time. Absolutely. In fact, uh, in there was something jumped out at me in um, the early part of your book where I think you talked about all of these 
all of these experiences that you had had as a creative person, but that the constants in your life were, were writing and gardening or something like that. Is that I can't find the passage right now. Yeah, was... sanity favors, I think I referred to them <laughs> as. Uh, in the midst of a, a whole realm of other interests, and uh, I'd always kept writing or processed my life through writing, tried to sought to understood my life through writing or to underst- understand subjects. And one of the um, tenets of nonfiction, at least creative nonfiction that I've pursued, is that one writes to discover, mm. you know, what one thinks. And that's what I did try to do with the book as well. And um, mm. I really like that orientation because it takes the reader along for the discovery so as I'm learning, the reader feels like they're learning as well, I hope. I, I agree completely, and I, I love that explanation. Even t- you do it in such subtle ways where maybe people aren't, you know, they're, it's enjoyable. They don't feel like it's a textbook. But, you know, even when you refer to terminology, you often describe what root word informed it and maybe from a different period or a different culture. And I find that so helpful to uh, just give a little context to what what I'm what I am learning in in your writing, and you did that oh, throughout. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so this life of of growing lettuce, <laughs> and it sounds like you were just a vegetable grower for your own for your own kitchen for yourself uh, was just um, uh, blended in with your other activities and and how did. What even possessed you to go take a floret workshop? I mean, like, what was it that that um, got you viscerally interested in in flowers? Uh, well, at the very least, I, I knew I could write about it. So <laughs> right, there was that. <laughs> and you, you obviously had had a yard, and you were growing yeah. things, right? Yeah, yeah, I was, and um, I didn't realize it at the time, but um, you know, high intensity salad gardening in the Pacific Northwest involves a, like a crop rotation at least three times a year. Mm. And that is a similar growing style to um, cut flower production in our region. So that was an easy, well, somewhat easy mm-hmm. um, um, shift for me mm-hmm. as a gardener. Yeah. And um, what else? Oh, I, I, I've, you know, I first, studied with an herbalist as a teenager. So anything, any new plant direction for me has always been exciting mm-hmm. and interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you often, um, in your writing, uh, you refer to other art forms and how they trigger some in, insight or, or lesson from flowers, such as um, theater or fashion or uh, music. And I find that like, I kind of feel like you're this well-rounded lover of all art forms and the one you're choosing right now to spend your, you know, kind of devote your life to is, is floral design. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> one could refer to me as a bit of a dilettante that way. I do. I a, do a beautiful um, dilettante. <laughs> right. The pursuit of beauty happens on many fronts, and uh, flowers wonderfully for me. In, in, I can go; you can go so many directions from flowers, um, intellectually and aesthetically. 
you know, as you said, they appear in, you know, in fine art and painting and in fashion and printmaking and, oh, it touches ecology. It was so fun researching the book because I could sashay off into all these different directions. And um, as long as I kind of stayed the course um, to the subject matter that I felt people needed to understand to become a good flower ranger uh, or to be just entertained. So uh, let's fast forward a little bit in your history, Kristen. You talked about, you know, doing some growing and selling of flowers locally, but then that kind of led to designing with your own flowers and photographing them. And so how has Cultivated as a studio evolved um, in terms of the, the activities you prefer to be doing and that people are drawn to? Well, you know, get the job to fit the lifestyle or the lifestyle to fit the job, I suppose. And in my case, I think I, I from outward appearances, it looks like I travel all the time. And I do. And I love traveling. And I feel ecologically, you know, challenged around that. However, I am an empty nester. So it's just my husband and I and a dog at home. Um, my son lives in England. And I wanted to find a way to marry that love and certainly teaching destination workshops help mm-hmm. with getting me out. And I love meeting people from abroad and creating an experience for people um, and learning about new gardens and new plants when I travel, because um, I, there isn't quite enough of that for me here. I, I've lived in this location for 10 years in this house, but I went to university in Victoria. So you know, I'm quite familiar with the landscapes around here and crave other landscapes and to be botanically challenged mm-hmm. as well when I, when I travel. Um, so, uh, so I teach one-to-ones here at the house because, of course, I love to have a large cutting garden. And I still do sell bouquets locally and have private clients uh, that I will do arrangements for. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is challenging to run the garden and the operation at home when I feel like I'm on the pl- a plane every six weeks. And certainly with this, with the book tour, it will continue that way. So, so I'm, I'm questioning some things moving forward about how much time I'll spend, um, at home. Um, sure. And, and what we're thinking in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is, is something I've discovered being in the world of flowers and also being a freelance writer myself is like, it's it's a bit of a mosaic or a patchwork quilt. And you're just constantly moving the pieces around to find the right, maybe the right balance or the right way to support yourself. Um, I think that people, and I, I said this with my son, you know, sometimes it's, it's really finding what is the right personality fit for you in terms of a career and, you know, I'm not a great saleswoman. I (laughs) would be awful at customer service in a shop or in that setting. Um, I need a lot of quiet time alone, which really suits the writer and me. And then I need a lot of social stimulation and stimulation and that traveling hits all those marks for me. So going out publicly, I'm fine with public speaking and things as long as there's a retreat period. And so it's, it's, I feel like I've got a nice balance right now and um, let's hope it can continue. (laughs) And um, I also wanted to just comment because of your deep experience as a gardener, I feel like you're drawn to places where there is a, 
a beautiful landscape as the backdrop to the flowers and like that that is sort of informs your sense of place as well when you're teaching abroad, right? Yeah, that and historic structures, mm, mm-hmm. you know, historic spaces and, you know, living in the Pacific Northwest, I live in a house and from the 1930s, but, you know, I would love and always love um, to, you know, have a historic property, um, a more historic property, but we don't need to get go down <laughs> well, down well right now. <laughs> I do think it's great that you brought that up because you do pr- pretty much uh, begin the book Cultivated by bringing us to one of those historic places that really... Um, maybe not where it all began, but but was one of the big influences on on your approach to photographing your work and being informed by what was growing at the Cambo Estate. Is that am I saying that correctly? Yes, you are. Yeah, Cambo in Scotland. Yeah, and I approached them uh, to see if they would host me to be a florist in residence. And I I'm, I love the introduction to the book actually because it, I was able to you know, say that I didn't entirely know what I was doing at that time, but I knew that I had to make an arrangement a day and photograph it. And no matter what, that would be what would happen. And, Mm. um, you know, that setting yourself up the time and space to be creative. And of course I ended up making more than one a day, but (laughs) um, just Carving out that time and that space space for your art, for me, it was really important. It was something that I had been exposed to, you know, through writer's retreats, writer's colonies, that kind of thing. But I'd never dared to suggest I do it as a florist. And um, any listeners, I would highly suggest doing that. And occasionally, (laughs) I've been trying to find people who would look after my garden and then they can live at my house and they can have floral <laughs> retreats. Yeah. Oh, I'd like to invite myself but, to your house for a floral well, retreat. Well, there's a dog included in the and there's some weeding as well. Oh, well. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. That's a fair trade. Uh, so when when did you do this project in, in Cambo? Uh, that was initially in 2016, and then I went on to teach workshops there, and I'll be teaching this fall, October 12th to 15th with Max Gill. Mm. What a rough assignment. That sounds wonderful. And I know. We had a great time last year. <laughs> when you're doing that, uh, Kristen, or when you first went to Scotland and did you know this, you kind of approached this beautiful estate and asked them, would they be interested in a florist in residence? For for how long were you there? I mean, when you that said... That was a week. Okay. Okay. So you made more that than... That was a week. Yeah. And let's be honest, my son went to university down the road. So mm. I was a mom looking for something to do while I could still take my child out for dinner occasionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is all they want really. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is that is exciting. And I, I really th- again it you're informing your floral design by your other um, you know, kind of creative experiences and referring to writers retreats and writers collectives and um, you know, that kind of gathering to a place to let let your let the inspiration come to you or to be quiet. So few people in floristry are able to do that. So it's a great model to encourage others to consider. Well, you know, it might be something we have to develop at some time. Yeah, you know? I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. so because you're a writer and you you were writing locally uh, for uh, the paper, uh, one of the daily newspapers, was it? Or one of the weekly newspapers in um, Vancouver? Weekly. weekly. Okay, yeah. So were those columns kind of essay-like columns or um, 
yeah, I had free range to mm. write about whatever I like. So there are even some bits of text that are in the book that come from that period. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I really had, I think, about eight months to write the book. So mm-hmm. I was, in some cases, pulling some content, for example, ideas around texture. You know, I had written about that in the gardening column. I'd definitely written about um, Constance Spry in the gardening column. I had written about um, the color green in the gardening column. Mm, so, mm. Um, so some of those pieces were reworked to apply to the book. Well, that, that's that's perfect lead up to the question I wanted to ask is like, yeah. how did you start a book? Because you had this deep experience as a writer. You had this sort of newfound love of f- growing, designing and photographing your flowers. And you felt like there was a, a you had a point of view that could be uh, collected in a book. And I know we talked a couple years ago about this when you were still kind of shopping it around how did how did I but I don't I fill in the blanks for me how did how did you actually um find a publisher and um develop a, a an outline for this book um get them excited about it well truthfully I I um was writing for Gardenista at the time and I interviewed an author at a book with Princeton Architectural Press um called, a book called The Humane Gardener and uh, asked her if I could she would connect me to her editor. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah. And she said, sure, absolutely. And I sent off a uh, book proposal and, um, Aaron Benzikeen had kindly, um, sent me a proposal she had written. So I had a pretty good sense about what, you know, the shape of one would look like sure. for floral as opposed to memoir or another form of nonfiction writing. Mm-hmm. And, um, sent that off and Princeton came back to me and they said, no, we want you to write a book about floral design. And initially I just went, Oh gosh, like imposter syndrome writ Mm. large. You know, Mm -hmm. I had just entered that fear in a way Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and had saw that that market was actually quite crowded, but then looked at the approach that the floral design books were taking. And a lot of them were recipe driven. Right. And, um, you know, I've never been the type of person who cooks from a recipe, never been the type of person who, who has done floral work with recipes. And perhaps that's a privilege because I haven't been organizing large events where I need to know my stem counts exactly. Exactly, but yeah. I, I also saw that there was an opportunity to write a more literary book um, of essays or short essays um, about the principles of style as opposed to the application, if you could call it that. Mm-hmm. So teasing apart some of the standard um, design principles such as form or line or mass or color um, and diving into those topics as they relate to flowers. That was the approach I chose to took and to take. And it was um, really actually quite fun doing it. Some some sections were more difficult than others. The color section is the longest. And um, I don't know if you've studied color theory at all. I did take a four-month class at the art college here. Oh, my gosh, color theory can be really quite difficult. Well, it is, but uh, I just have to compliment you on how you handle color. I thought it was one of the most exciting um, pieces of, of sort of new writing that I've seen on kind of this massive, heavy topic um, because you talked about color theory through flowers and through 
horticulture and, and botanical elements. So it it's all so it's all so relatable for anyone who works with flowers. And I thought that was so well done. Um, even when you get into like the idea of what is value, like that that's a hard thing to explain. And I find myself going back to my college, you know, textile design books to figure out what is value, you know, and um, I don't know. I thought you did a great job. I think it's really, well, really you. useful for thank anyone. You. Yeah, I was deep into the art history books at that <laughs> point. You know, the, um, the Impressionist period certainly helped me with color theory. I mean, it was during that, that period in history that the science of color theory was invented. And so trying to... Uh, it, expand the topic by exploring the history, the culture, the ideas of the time that led to the design sensibilities that we have today. That was one approach that seemed to work throughout the book, whether that was the Dutch masters, the impressionists and the Baroque. Mm -hmm. And um, I had great fun doing those lists. I love lists, but the 10 things to learn (laughs) from the Baroque. (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad you brought that up because I wrote down uh, that, that I wanted to ask you about the 10 things to learn. So in, in throughout the book, you have these just little pages that are with numbered concepts. And the first one is 10 things to learn from impressionist and neo impressionist, impressionist painting. And um, these are, these are super personal. Like nobody, you, you just drew these lessons from your own study of impressionist art, right? Yes. Yes. Entirely. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love. Yeah. To- maybe we maybe we should let the the um, listeners know that they're they're nothing too complicated. There are things along the lines of um, um, shadow contains color. I think that's one of them. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, choose flowers that possess gestural petals or sepals. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Dots of color disappear at a distance, mm-hmm. but when masked, the brain will create form. You know, this is museum visits. Um, these are museum visits, podcasts, books I've read, things I've just trying gleaned um, the, the, an essence from that we could apply to floral design. That's what I was trying to do with them. But they were, they were super fun to write. They're wonderful. I, lo- I, I like this one jumped out at me. Backdrops and backgrounds matter. Choose textured or hand-painted materials. Like if you're really thinking about trying to document what you're designing, uh, it will change how you s- create a space to take photos, but how often are we scrambling with a busy and messy backdrop? And this is a, just a little tip that is very wow. easy for anyone to de- replicate. Uh, I saw the other day that uh, Florette has a piece that came out in Vogue, and instantly I, I just drooled over the backdrop. It was a picture of just a, a jug of dahlias on a table, but there were three pale green doors in the background, and I thought, oh, Gosh, that's good. Mm. Yeah, those were probably just props. That right, right. For the picture. Right. But nevertheless, the aesthetics of the whole image um, were just gorgeous, I thought. Well, yeah, you, anyway. yeah, and you, your other lists uh, cover the Baroque, the Dutch Master Floral Still Life, Rococo, Ikebana. I think, are there others? I might have missed one of them, but the, the, I think that's it. You, yeah. re- you really went through the whole kind of historical and cultural influences uh, artistically that would um, inspire a floral artist. So I thought that was really fun. And um, I also like when you define words I don't know. Um, You have uh, an essay um, 
on ostinato. Am I saying that right? Ostinato? Um, yes. And I'm like, okay, what's this? And it was, it's really <laughs> a lovely concept. I'm looking for the page right now so I can refer. I don't want to mischaracterize it. Why don't you tell us what ostinato is? Oh, I, I needed a way in which to talk about rhythm and mm. repetition. Mm-hmm. And um, naturally, I went to music to mm. try and find a way to discuss um, both garden design. I believe in that um, piece, There's um, I use uh, the work of Piet Odolf as mm-hmm. an example, who designs those swaying grasses and, you know, broad um, almost impressionistic vistas, and also compared that to the work of Emily Thompson in New York right. and her work with twigs. Um, in that, there are certain r- repetitions and refrains that are replayed throughout a body of work or throughout an installation, and and I think that um, you know having some background in garden design a little little bit. Um, really helped to bring some of the ideas about florals to the fore. And mm-hmm. I'd love to see more more of an exchange between garden design and floral design. I felt like if you look at something like the Chelsea Flower Show, you know, you've got the floral tent and it's of this certain style. It's usually modernist and it's, um, you know, oh, by the way, they're banning floral foam, which yes, is great. Yes, I know. Things, but things it, could change. But it's, but you, it's you, segregated you from the gardens. I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very segregated. And and so um, garden design or ideas around gardening, like using threes, fives, and sevens, you know, in, in a planting scheme is very similar to our love of odd numbers in mm-hmm. floral design mm-hmm. as well. So trying to develop some cross, um, pollination between those two spheres, I think would be really interesting for everyone. I agree completely. That's totally the space I'm in. So of course it resonates with me and that I've always said, and I was happy to read, you pretty much said the same thing, uh, quoting someone that gardeners are like ideally suited to be floral designers, like because of their point of view and understanding, um, of how plants behave. I thought that was, that just made me so happy to, to see you address that. Um, because yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's a privileged position for me that you know, in that I do have a garden, and yeah, um, yeah but nevertheless, yeah, I think it is but important. I, but I think the word, the the essay about cutting gardens that is in cultivated the book. Um, I think you you will be re- inspiring people who love flowers but have never attempted to grow anything. You you may change their points of view, and wouldn't that be lovely if if someone would just grow a little four foot square, you know, four square feet patch of zinnias and see what happens. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, (laughs) I think that we're heading that way as an industry. Well, you know, because you helped create the whole movement, the, the slow flower movement. So I think it's, it's wonderful. The other aspect that I did try to address was, um, ecological style yes. and the issue issues around foraging uh, because I find them somewhat conflicted. You know, I have a background a degree in environmental studies and um, understand the population pressure and it, issues around native plants and um, invasive species. So I wanted to explore that angle as well about using invasive species as opposed to 
an abundance of native native plant material unless there's an abundance of it. Mm -hmm. I know. I really appreciated Mm -hmm. that. And actually, that's one of the early lessons that you have. And in the way your book is organized, these one-page lessons are... Um, they're wonderful. They're just like a take one one idea and explore it uh, with a corresponding beautiful floral arrangement that evokes that lesson. Um, and the ecological style talks uh, it it does talk about um, plants that tend to be considered weeds <laughs> or uh, you know maybe hard scrabble plants and why those are beautiful as well um, I don't know if that's exactly if I'm interpreting that correctly but yeah that's correct that's I think that's it's a pretty open term ecological mm-hmm. style uh, but there's no question that people are are thinking harder about the um, not only imported flowers, but the resources that have gone on to the gone into the production of flowers. Yes, um, yes. For, you know, some of the high demand flowers like roses and peonies mm-hmm. and things. So, you know, growing grasses is often easier. So it's been nice to see the move towards grasses and that meadow aesthetic mm-hmm. because it's away from high demand flowers. Right. Right. As a really, I th- didn't think about the resources and, in, 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 you know, the inputs to create that bloom being part of an ecological awareness, but that that's wonderful. And when you talked about foraging, I thought that your, your references to um, uh, people who maybe are more involved in food foraging were useful. Like you, you quoted um, talking about that 10% rule. Um, I'm trying to find that really quickly, but like gleaning or maybe is what, where, where that came from. Is that, is yeah, that it's, I mean, everything is place specific. And I think mm-hmm. that the, the challenge really for floral people is to learn the plants of their region and mm-hmm. to have an ecological understanding about, okay, what is um, a, a rare or endangered plant? You know, I'm in the Gary Oak Meadow ecosystem. It's one of the smallest ecosystems in Canada. It's winter, wet, summer, dry, beautiful um, camas meadows, mm. um, but not one flower could ever be removed because they are all endangered. Mm, wow. And um, so that's my neighborhood. And um, so it's foraging is not an option. Now everything happens to be covered in English ivy, which is an invasive species. So it's, um, I'm, I'm free to take that. Yeah. And also Traveler's Joy, the Femidas. Uh, there are a number of invasive species, um, Himalayan blackberries, probably similar for you, but it's over many years that I've accumulated enough knowledge to know that. And I just want to speak to that. that I think mm-hmm. that that is important and it's possible for people to take classes at nature centers or, mm-hmm. or what, whatever to, to learn some of the basic information. You're right, but there's no one size fits all uh, like magic list of invasive species or, you know, because it is so spe- site specific or region specific. And I think you, you gave some good advice to people about, doing their own research uh, to, f- to just educate themselves uh, about what may- what is and is not uh, best for the planet. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, this book is so lovely, like from my point of view as sort of the advocate 
pushing this slow flowers concept, you know, I sometimes get very, really preachy and like, I don't mean to, but like, I don't want to drive people by guilt, but I know that in my early years, I felt so strongly that, um, I had to convince people. Right. And by contrast and in contrast, cultivated is like a love letter to this idea of seasonality in such a evocative, um, inviting way that, it's almost like you're tricking people to be sustainable. <laughs> the way you're 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 luring, oh my god you're luring them by beauty and um and by emotional sensory connection to the flower world. And I, I absolutely applaud you for the way you've approached this book. It's so beautiful. And oh, thank you. And hopefully it'll yeah. yeah and hopefully it'll resonate with people who've never really considered that aspect of floristry as well because your designs are so beautiful and people follow you on Instagram and they they know your work but maybe they don't know the whole story and this is the book they need to read to push themselves to maybe a new level of intentionality in their design so let's let's wonderful hope. well yeah. I, I'm all for that and I'm all for gardeners actually giving floral designers uh, some more respect you know both in um, literary terms and um, in general, because mm-hmm. I, I have long felt that floral design hasn't, hasn't earned its place, um, uh, alongside, you know, garden writing and mm-hmm. garden literature. So there are probably too many pictures in this book to make it like a, a fully book of literature, but I had hoped that it could have been a little denser, even though it's 42,000 words. I was still hoping for more, more, but that is part of my mission. That might be volume two. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. So uh, I'm Yes. And I'm excited that you'll be um, coming to Seattle in February. And I wanted to just let people know about it. Um, So we'll put your, um, I'm aware of your your workshops you'll be teaching at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival and then also um, a, a local workshop. Do you want to mention kind of how people can find and follow you for your entire book tour? Because we'll put a link to that too on the show notes. Um, thanks. Yeah, I'll have a, I have an events page on my website. It's getting quite busy. Um, in Seattle, I'll be speaking on color in a seminar format, and I'll also be designing on the DIY stage. And I'll be on a panel with you, Deborah, and we'll right. finally get to meet That'll be for great. Jennifer Jewell's book, um, The Earth in Her Hands, which I'm looking forward to. And um, as for the events that are coming up, it's a little wild. It's New York, London, France, Boston, on we go. So mm. um, crazy. I, I can't can't really itemize them no, all. No, 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 no. That's, but, that's yeah. just a lot of places. So so that's great. The, the good news is we have listeners around the world, so they can check out and see if you're coming to a, a town near them sometime soon. Yeah, so there'll be a uh, like a graphic of my uh, some of the spring events that I'll be putting on Instagram at cultivated by Kristen and Kristen is spelled like Christmas. Okay. (laughs) We'll have links to that as well. Um, Wow. So yeah, that poor garden of yours and that poor dog of yours are going to be a little neglected this year. Um, Or maybe temporarily, right? You know, I did not marry a gardener. Mm. Well, nor did I. (laughs) I I have have tried to make him one just so tried for mm. 17 years and mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just not really sticking mm-hmm. so mm. bless, um, bless you <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> 
uh, obviously I like a challenge. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens. I think that the garden, interestingly, and I, I have learned this, I do have the irrigation, so I will say that, but mm-hmm. my garden often benefits from periods of neglect mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. I might miss the timing, the proper timing for seeding or some of the cutting at the exact period. But if I plan accordingly, I'm actually amazed at how well it can do with 10 days of nobody um, visiting it. Right. It's, it, it, it is remarkable. And I think that that's some experience and having more perennials and then moving to, mm-hmm. um, you know, a different style of gardening a little more hands off, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, it's so funny as a, as a like garden variety garden writer for decades, uh, I always had to chuckle at the, you know, I, the wish that people would utter, like, I want a low maintenance garden. And I just like, there's no such thing. But um, a, a rhythm of taking time off from your garden is, is totally acceptable. And then the maintenance is there when you come home and, you know, you just do the cleanup and, or not. I mean, I, I love that you how you discuss uh, the feeling you have, you and your garden both, come October, where it's time to rest and just let it go. And I love that that imagery. Yeah. <laughs> yep. When we're done, yes, we're both done, and we're just we're just now starting to think about falling in love again because yes. it's the end of January yes. and the sweet peas are poking up out of their little soil blocks in the greenhouse. Mm. Oh, you're ahead of me. I love that. Uh, Kristen, when you do travel to lecture and teach, especially now that you'll be sharing the book with people, uh, I'm just curious about your strategy for sourcing flowers. I mean, obviously, if you're at a place like Cambo Estate, they're letting you cut from the grounds. But um, are you are you trying to make connections with other sources of flowers? Or how? maybe it's not one size fits all. I'm just curious what your experience has been. Well, you know what? It's convenient that one of my favorite things to do is to um, try to capture the time and place of uh, in an arrangement of the garden, and you know that that is one of my favorite things to do. This is this exact moment in time, and we're just going to take a picture of the garden on a smaller scale, and that we definitely do that at Cambo in Scotland Mm -hmm. uh, because they allow us to pick from the garden, which is sweet. Now I do infill from a local flower farmer and, you know, Instagram communities like Slow Flowers. And for my workshop in France, I was able to connect with the Collectif Francais something. Yes. Or, yes. Um, the Slow Flowers of France, basically. Yeah. Yeah. The Slow Flowers of France and contacted the director who then um, sent me a farmer who's in the region. Oh, lovely. So, yeah, so that was great because initially I was going to have flowers shipped from Holland and I thought, you know, why don't I just look around and see mm. what, what I can get mm-hmm. here. And um, so I do find that there's a really wonderful network, you know, through Instagram or or a little bit of research um, to, to find the flowers I, I need when I travel. New York, teaching at the New York Botanic Garden, I have to tell you it's going to be a bit of a thrill. They Set me loose on 28th Street with a budget I can't even tell you. It's phenomenal. Mm. So oh. that's going to be super, super fun for the wow. Canadian to have a <laughs> truck there. And I just walk inside and pick what I want. I don't hate you too much. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, lovely. Well, this is the year for listeners to 
be lucky and find Kristen in uh, their in their town or community or region because you will be a little bit uh, a little bit more actively traveling probably than ever before with with this wonderful new project to share. Um, what is the actual pub date of the book? Uh, it's March twenty fourth, okay. and I have a um, little policy. I've got these postcards that are getting printed. And um, I just want to say thank you to people. So if people send me uh, a screenshot of their address when they purchase the book through Instagram or through email, I'll send them a little card. Oh, and um, what yeah, a, what a yeah. fun, what a fun, fun way to make connections with with like minded kindred spirits. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, my go- I hope to inspire others to keep going. Okay, but P.S., you are also producing, or your publisher is producing, a gorgeous set of note cards ref- with photos from the book. Is that not correct? Yes, and that I thought that was a clever idea on their part. On the back of every card is a design tip. <gasps> I got to get my hands on that. I wow. design tips on the back. For the backs of the cards, yeah, just a few sentences, mm-hmm. but um, lovely, yeah, they're 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 sweet as well. But, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, the book is my pride and joy, mm-hmm. but a Congrats. gift item is a wonderful thing, <laughs> right? Keep the book for yourself, give the cards to someone else, <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, <laughs> hey, congratulations! It is, it's a Thank it's you, a Deborah, it's a beautiful piece, and uh, it's really fun to be able to share it with our listeners. And it's certainly not March 24th right now, when this airs, it will. Uh, probably be mid-February, but that's what pre-ordering is all about. So the book is available online to order at at all your favorite sources. And I'm sure there's, um, you know, there's a way to kind of be be ahead of the game, order the book so it arrives the, the day after it's published or something like that. I'm not how, sure how yeah, they do that. And people, people aren't charged until the book ships. So I have learned that the, there's a something that authors are meant to do and the publishers do is the pre-order campaign period. And what is happening with that is that bookshops then will decide based on the success of the pre-order campaign, Mm. how many books they'll order. So it's a predictor of a book success. So that's why we have to chat up a book ahead of time. Mm -hmm. It's that that's creating future demand. And in my case, I hope that it will lead to more of a marketing budget from my publisher, who I know isn't listening to this podcast, so it's safe <laughs> <Right>. to say. <laughs> well, we'll send it to them. Hopefully that they'll fund some par- a party for me at some point. Oh, I've been there. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm, right, ha- <laughs> I'm, very ha- I'm very happy I'll see you in Seattle, and I'll put those dates uh, on our show notes uh, just for especially for the people in the Pacific Northwest to know that Kristen's is going to be at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show teaching and being part of uh, Jennifer Jules panel. But then also you're going to do a workshop at the London Plain, uh, which will be a little bit more hands-on, which I think uh, certain... It's sold out now. Oh, it is sold out? Okay. Yeah. Well, you can go down that to... <laughs> yeah. No, no. If it was me, I would go down to Occidental Street and I would press my nose to the window and look in, <laughs> look through the glass to see what you were doing. <laughs> Well, they will have other copies of the book, and the books are being released early for that event. So if somebody wants to pop in and and get an extra copy, they will be there. Yes, very exciting. Yeah, Jenny Nelson invited me to come as her guest, and unfortunately, I have a conflict that night. So I wish you well. And I will, um, I'll see you at the end of February. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing um, this wonderful moment with us. I, I know that you will have, you have, 
more fans than my listeners, but hopefully you'll, we'll touch a few new people who can check you out and um, get this book in their hot hands and um, come hear you speak. So thank you, Kristen. Yeah, thank you. Okay, see you later. Bye for now. Thanks so much for joining me today. What an inspiring conversation. If you're interested in meeting Kristen and hearing her speak in person, you can find her upcoming book tour schedule posted on her website, and I'll share a link to that too. Coming right up, as we discussed, Kristen will appear February 26th and 27th at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival in Seattle. She will be designing on the 26th on the DIY stage, and on the 27th, she'll be joining Jennifer Jewell, Lorene Edwards-Forkner and me for a discussion entitled Women at Work, Making a Living While Following Your Plant Passion, which Jennifer Jewell will moderate. And Kristen will also speak on color later that day. Maybe we'll see you there. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. Registration continues for the Slow Flowers Summit. If you're listening today on our release date of February 12th, it's perfect timing to take advantage of our Galentine's, Palentine's, and Valentine's flash sale, which takes place February 13th and 14th. Find the links in today's show notes. I can't wait to see you at the Slow Flowers Summit June 28th through 30th at Filoli in San Francisco. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 575,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products. And join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Music